This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jeremy Vaney, once again, filling in for Whitley Strieber. Um, I have an exciting guest this week. Her name is Judy. She is an experiencer, and I can just tell from the brief interactions we had, we're going to have a great show, because I was like, please come on the show. So, And she said yes, which is like... When does that ever happen? So, Judy, uh, thank you for doing this. Um, I can't wait to get into all of this craziness with you, high strangeness life of yours. Um, but first of all, just thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Jeremy. I'm happy to do it. Um, it's going to be fun. Thank you for asking. Um, so the reason that you intrigue me is uh, <laughs> that you're another case of what seems to me like on paper, what you have described so far as your experiences seem one way, but your takeaway from them goes another, and it seems incongruous, but maybe it isn't. Um, so first, why don't we get into your experiences? Um, what are they? Are, what, what would you consider them to be, and when did they start? Um. I've had all kinds of different experiences um, from paranormal, seeing ghosts, um, to the alien thing, which um, really didn't start really, I wasn't really aware of it starting until 1995 when my husband and I were visiting Maui. Um, That was kind of like the first time the alien thing came along. Um, So I, I guess you were kind of intimating that these things are incongruous. I I see it as a, on a continuum, paranormal, extraordinary experiences. Um, They're all kind of along the same, the same line for me. Um, You know, I've had sleep paralysis kind of things happening to me since I was a small child. Um, I would feel buzzing around my lips, mostly in my face and, I would, when I was young, I would have um, positive experiences. I would have dreams where I was flying or swimming underwater um, and breathing. And um, I found that very enjoyable as a child. Um, At the same time, I had a lot of stress in my life as a child um, and even trauma. And um, I don't know, I kind of lost the thread of your question. (laughs) You want to know what my experiences are. Yeah, I'd like to know what your experiences are, specifically... Let's go with the so-called alien abduction experiences. Because what I, what I find in, in, incongruous, am I even pronouncing that correctly, uh, is not that you've had variety of experiences, but that your so-called alien experiences sound, quote-unquote, typical. But I feel like your takeaway from all of this doesn't match that. Like, if you, like It's almost as if you don't believe the narrative that you're living through. Or that the narrative you're living through is producing a different outcome in you than you would expect. So, like, for instance, when I read books about, well, even the old Bud Hopkins hypnosis books, right, where he would retrieve what he tries to pigeonhole as little alien doctors doing little alien doctor things, usually malevolent or at least, you know, don't care about you. Um, It seems like almost to a person their personal outcome is that they cherish nature more. Like those two things don't go together. 
And yet it happens time and time again. And then his answer to that is like, you know, something along the lines of like, well, of course they would want you to believe that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's always like some other nefarious reason why you have benefited from this malevolent interaction. And so I'm just wondering, it, it sounds similar to, to you in a way. Um, but if yeah, I'm wrong, yeah. we'll find that out. So, yeah. No, well, your... I think. Go ahead. Yeah, I think side by side, what, what happened, I'm not sure I even related one to the other until I actually started responding to you when I listened to your um, podcast. And, but I do think that um, I was really set on a spiritual path after um, what happened in Maui. And what happened with, in Maui really kind of started with me waking in the middle of the night, opening my eyes and I'm awake. Um, I opened my eyes and there was a gray right here. And I wasn't one who really read about these things or really, I mean, I know it's in the culture. I, I acknowledge that, but I wasn't really interested in that kind of thing. And in my mind, I thought it was um, a God of the Island who was upset with me for getting a piece of pumice stone down at the beach in the morning that I was going to bring home to my little boy who was waiting for me on mainland. And um, so I took it that morning, I took it down to the beach where I'd found it the day before. And I knelt in the sand and I put it back and I said, please forgive my ignorance. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. I know that now I'm returning that which was not mine. Please forgive me. I was just a little prayer said in all sincerity. And then that night I had a dream and it's a dream that does not fade with time. So it's a different kind of a dream than a normal dream. And I was at uh, Tall Falls, and it was a place that we actually went to a couple days later on our trip. And it's in Hana. And it's the falls that you walk up through the bamboo forest to get to, and there's seven pools. And in my dream, I'm at this place, this falls with these pools of water coming down and there's this ethereal music and this humming in the air. And it's kind of like vibrating, like, like a symphony, like a string instrument, you know, and you can feel it in your sternum and you can hear it and you really feel it mostly. And, um, and there's this line of people that are going up along the cliff to the right. And I'm looking up this line of people. And at the top of the line, at the end of the line, there's three or four tall white people, beings, and um, they seem to be addressing each person that comes up. But I'm sort of like not in a normal state, right? I was, this is a dream. Um, but it's more than a dream because I still, 24 years later or more, um, I still remember the details of the dream. And so I stand in line and I, I get up to the beings. And when I get up to them, um, they have overly large human like eyes. They're very tall. They're very white, like glowing white. And um, I just, I just gaze into their eyes. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it, it was really a feeling of love. It was a feel, it was a good feeling. It was um, a connected feeling. It was kind of like a oneness experience. Um, not really sure how to explain it, but the dream just sort of ended there. Um, but I've remembered it all these years. So when we got back home, I had, um, I had another experience. I think I, I wrote this to you. Um, I had an experience where I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I look at my doorway and there's this blue light out in the hall. 
And I'm thinking, what is this blue light? Where is it coming from? You know, is it a car passing by, but it's very blue. And I'm trying to like figure out what this blue light is. And I sort of fall asleep. And then I open my eyes again and I look in the doorway. There's this tall, skinny being. And I'm like, what is that in the doorway? And the next thing I know, I'm like waking up again. And there's two of them. And they're like at the end of my bed. And then a third time I open my eyes and it's right next to me on my left. I'm right next to my bed and it's extending its arm toward me. And it's the segmented finger and it's coming toward my face. And now I'm realizing that I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I can't, I can't say anything. My husband's right there. I can't even reach out and wake him up. And something is pressed into my nose and my head is pressed back into the pillow and it hurts, but I can't do anything to stop it. And that's where that memory ends. And in the morning when I wake up, my, my eye is watering. My nose is draining for like three days. And um, I, I tell my husband, I think a spider crawled into my nose when I was sleeping. Cause look, you know, look at this. And it's like, it, it hurts and it's all puffy and red and draining. And, and he's like, Oh, your body will take care of it. He's getting ready to go to work and <laughs> off he goes. And I'm, I'm kind of left wondering, you know, what that, what that was. And, during the day, I didn't have to go to work that day. And during the day, I remembered in pieces, first a spider, but no, it was, it wasn't a spider. It was, a, it was an arm. It was a segmented arm. It was, it was, and then I started like backwards getting the memories coming back. And I'm like, holy crap, what was that? So fast forward a year or two, and I've got TMJ issues and I'm getting some films of that area, which happened to be sinus films. I was an x-ray tech. And I told his partner, because I'm in the viewing room with them when we get the films done, and things were still done on films back then. They're not digital. They weren't digital yet. And I'm like, to his partner, I'm like, it's right here. It's right here. And he puts up the film and we're like, yeah, there it is. Um, There's like a little grain of rice right there in your right maxillary sinus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this real? Um, so that's kind of like when you the say first grain of rice, was it an actual grain of rice? Did you have it examined? I did not have it examined. No, it was something that my body had walled off. It had been there for a year or two. Um, let me see. Um, we moved, we moved from Syracuse in 97, 95. So it was, it was, it was a year and a half. It was a year and a half that it had been there. So my body had taken care of it. It had walled it off. And I also had a scoop mark, which I didn't even know about until I read something about that years later. I'm like, oh, I do. And it was on the same side as the the thing. Hmm. I mean, no, I didn't have it taken out. Um, I did try to get the films just last year. I got interested in trying to figure out what, what has happened to me. And um I called the hospital and they said, no records from that far back. Everything's digital. Now they're gone. So I've kind of half wondered if I could get films again and see if it's still there. Hmm. It's something I could, could pursue perhaps if I, um, if I said, you know, if I said I had something going on, you know, like with my sinuses, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think about things and I don't do them sometimes. So <laughs> join the club, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because how far down the rabbit hole do we want to go, Jeremy? Uh, well, let's get to the the other thing that you had mentioned about um, not wanting the grays to mess with you because you have kids. 
or not when you mess with kids? What was that experience? That was when, okay, so I had secondary infertility. And so in 1998, after we moved, um, I had been trying to get pregnant for about five years. We'd been married five years and I was turning 35 and, um, we went and we went to Boston and did IVF and we put four embryos in and I got pregnant with twins and I had bleeding very early on. They gave me shots of pregnizone to keep them in. Um, and then at 22 weeks I started having preterm labor. So I was on strict bed rest for most of my pregnancy. I delivered at 35 weeks. So after my fourth month is when things started happening with being taken and what would, what was happening at first was I would see a blue light in the room and I'd be like, that's really weird. Now I'm not connecting any of this to what happened, you know, with Hawaii or, or in Syracuse, um, not connecting any of it with what's happening there and, um, consciously and, what's happening is I see this blue light come into the room and I'm like, that's really weird. I'm like half awake, half asleep. And I'm like, Oh, it must be the light from the VCR. VCR has a red light, has a green light, doesn't have blue light. I don't know, but that's what my mind told me. But one night, and this, this was, this was the one that I remember the best. And it started when I was awake. It didn't start when I was asleep. I woke up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and I walked by the window next to my bed and I saw that there was light outside. And I said, oh, it must be morning already. And if you've ever been pregnant with twins, Jeremy, you'll know it's, you don't sleep well. <laughs> so, <Keep that> in <laughs> mind. <laughs> you know, I, I was awake a lot, you know, up and down and I didn't know what time it was. So I went into the bathroom and I'm looking out the window there and I'm like, oh, the sky is dark above the tree line. That's really weird. So I'm walking back to the bedroom, back to my bed. And I'm standing in my window next to the bed. I'm looking into my backyard and I see the, the lotus locust tree. There was a tall locust tree behind our sunroom in our backyard. And it's kind of like over there. And I'm looking at it and the trunk of the tree is lit up with a bright white, bluish white light. And I follow it and I look up into the canopy of the tree and it, there's swirling like this. And it's yellow and it's orange, it's green and it's blue and it's white and it's just swirling colors. And I'm just standing there thinking, what is this? What is this? And I'm not even, I'm not thinking spaceship. I'm not thinking aliens, nothing. I'm not thinking anything like that. I may sound unbelievable, but I wasn't. And then I start feeling the buzzing in my lips and my face and my body. And the next thing I know, I'm kind of like, shifting consciousness. I'm not, I'm no longer standing in my bedroom. And the next thing I know, I am going up this column of light click. It's like a click and a click and a click. So click, I'm not in my bedroom. I'm in this column of light click again. I'm walking in this curved silver hallway with, and I know there's like two beings on either side of me on my shoulders, like right here, but I don't turn and look at them because I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to look at them. I don't know why I think that, but I, I don't. And I'm kind of like, my eyes are kind of like, we're, we're walking along this hallway and I'm kind of like looking to my right because there's nothing on my left. It's all just silver. And on my right, we, we're passing these open doorways and it's dark. They're dark rooms. And I kind of glance into one or two of them and 
I can see that there's like a, um, a countertop along one wall and there's like a blue light that's like glowing along the floor. And there's like a couple silver tables in there. Um, and then we end up in this room that's huge. We walk into this room and it's really bright. It's like white, bright walls. Even I, I don't remember it being silver. I remember it being white. And again, there's this long line of people standing there and there's like silver shelving um, with what, what I think are book bags sitting on the shelves. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I shouldn't be here. I'm on bed rest. I should not be standing here. I need to get back to bed. So I'm feeling really agitated. And I look around, I'm trying to see what's in the room. And I look around these shelves that are in front of me and the line of people's on the right of them. I'm looking around like this and I see that there's four tall white beings standing at the end of the line. And I'm like, okay, those are the people in charge. I need to go talk to them. And so I get out of line and I walk up to them and I'm standing in front of this one and I'm thinking to myself, she looks just like Marie Osmond. She's got these big, you know, brown eyes, whatever. I don't know if they're brown, but big eyes, you know, I don't know, moon face, pale. And I just start screaming at her. And I think I'm screaming in my head. I, maybe I was screaming in my throat. I don't know. And she but says, just, back of the line, Karen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Karen. Absolutely. <laughs> I was being a Karen. Like when you're a mama bear, you know, you're like, get me out of here. I can't, I can't be here. So I'm telling her, I'm like, these are my babies. We put them in there. You can't, you can't keep doing this. This is stressing me out. Um, I, you know, you have to stop doing this to me. This is too much. So wait, let me stop you there. When you, when you say you can't keep doing this to me in that, in wherever you are, are you in a state of mind where you know that this has been going on for a while that you don't normally know? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yes. Um, there's a couple things in there that I say to her that I'm not consciously aware of. One is, why am I telling her that these are our babies, not your babies? Because I had no idea that I even, that was even a thing. Hybrid program. I wasn't thinking about that. I hadn't really, I don't think I'd read about it. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what I've read. Um, I mean, I read a lot, you know, and, um, I did read communion. Um, you know, and things are things are just in the culture, you know, whether you whether you know that you're picking it up or not, you probably are. Um, but for some reason, I was telling her that. Um, and I had been aware that she had been that I had been really stressed out and that they had been taking me for several weeks and that it had to stop right now because I can't I can't take it anymore. Hmm. And um, that's where the memory ends. Oh, and you don't remember the response? No, I just remember the the memory ends staring into her eyes, pleading with her to understand and to let me go home. Do you remember um, when you were walking down the hall with the beings, did they walk normally? Did they walk like people? I I just had more of an awareness that they were there. I did not look at them. And I was walking slowly but normally. Um, but no, I don't, I don't remember any sense of how they were walking. I just know, I knew they were there. And did you say how this began? Was this a dream or or did you actually walk out of your house? No, I was awake standing at my bedroom window when it started. Okay. So outside your bedroom window, 
Uh, is that street. something anyone else can see? Like, is it a neighborhood? What What's yeah. out there? Yeah, we were in a neighborhood. There was a Catholic church behind us. There were houses all around us. We were in a small neighborhood in upstate New York. Yeah. Okay. And would you say that, um, I mean, have you had experiences like with altered states of mind in your life on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> Either drugs um, or hypnosis or, I don't know, even daydreaming, I suppose, counts in some way. Well, like, I never had, yeah, oh, I never had hypnosis until a year ago. And I contacted um, someone because I wanted to see if I could remember anything more. And I really didn't. I, I'm not really sure. I, I'm not even telling you any of that because I'm not really sure if it's real or not. What I, what I remember is what's real to me. Um, so when... When you're saying things to her that imply more of a relationship than what you consciously recall, I mean, I'm just wondering, can you tell, does your state of mind there feel different than your state of mind right now? Foggier or different in any way? Yeah, it is different. It was different. Um, trying Trying to get words to describe. It's, um, it's almost like a hyper-focused sort of feeling where I was only seeing like this in front of me. Um, if I wanted like to look at those shelves that were in front of me, I really had to like look at them and concentrate. It's not like normal reality. Like I'm just sitting here looking and, you know, I can look at a point in front of me and I can tell you some of the things that I'm seeing over here, you know, in my peripheral vision. It's not quite like that. Um, and I feel different there. I felt different there. And when you were in line, a line of people, were those people, I mean, no one you recognized? Again, I wasn't really concentrating on them, um, but nobody, I didn't notice anyone. There were men and women and they were Were they dressed like, 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 uh, like, are they from around the world or are they Americans, do you think? No, they were like people that could have been from, you know, my, my town. Um, I don't remember anyone standing out as very different. I don't remember any children in that line. They were all adults that I remember, but there were men and women. Um, so how does, because you'd mentioned sleep paralysis before. Yeah. How does this state of mind versus sleep paralysis versus normal? Like what, can, do you, can you tell the difference yeah. between those three things or articulate it? I, think so. Okay. So when I have had experiences of sleep paralysis, my mind feels sharp. I feel totally awake and conscious, but I'm unable to access my body. I can't, I, I, I can't move my body. I can't open my eyes. Um, what I used to do because things, things would happen after. Okay. So when I was 20, 21, I had one particular experience where I had, my house had just been broken into the night before and the police had just left that the next day when I made the report. And I went upstairs and laid down on my bed. And as I'm just resting, all of a sudden, I just close my eyes and all of a sudden I feel like I'm being pulled out of my body from my chest and I'm going into like, I see stars rushing past me. Like I'm in blackness, I'm out in the universe and I panic and I get really like, I just, I focus my mind and I'm like, no, no, no. And I feel the acceleration slow and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be okay. But I feel like I'm out of my body 
And that started with a a paralysis situation. And, you know, I tried to shake my head side to side. That was one of the tricks I would try to do to get out of that state, that paralysis state. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And I would just pass out and I don't know what would happen. Um, Or I'd be taken and... When I was taken, I just I had to focus my mind really hard to get myself to come back to my body. And once I felt myself back on the bed, I leapt out of bed and I didn't go to sleep for hours after that. Hmm. Um, so you said you got hypnosis. Why did you get hypnosis? You said that you you've grown up with other types of experiences. So what about this made you uh, nag at you to find out more? Well. I mean, like people, it's funny, are, isn't it? Like people have ghost experiences and even if they don't remember yeah. the entire thing, no one's like, I must get hypnosis to see what that ghost did. Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, 2.30 in the morning, I woke up once and my grandfather was sitting in a chair that wasn't there next to my bed and he passed that night and that was him leaving. And, um, you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't have a desire to do that, but the, the aliens aren't supposed to be real. All right. So if that's what I'm thinking that it was, there, I got to know more information because that just does not make sense in the normal real world to me because I'm a science person. I'm educated. I'm not crazy. Um, my mother had me tested. No, but you know, um, you know, it's just so anomalous and it's different than, um, you know, other experiences that I'd had. And it was terrifying and I had no control and I wanted to know who they were, why they took me um, and what they were doing with me. And supposedly other people have had these experiences and why, you know, why, what is it? It's a huge question in my mind. Hmm. Yeah. Um, And I guess the other sort of just filling out the architecture of this, um, when you were in Maui, had you ever been to Maui before? No, that was my first and only visit. And when you were in Syracuse, um, what was going on in your life at that point? I was working. I was working at the hospital. Um, I was working in the ER. I was an X-ray technician. Um, I was newly married. I had a son from my first marriage. We just built a house and moved into it, and and life was good. Life was <laughs> life was good. So, for any of the trickster theorists out there, let's review in childhood. Uh, some traumatic stuff happened and this paranormal stuff happened. And then we just heard about this, which is like it, anytime it, it just seems true. 99% of the time of people I've ever interviewed or thought about my own experiences is like any of the big sort of stuff happens at times of liminality, at times of change, you're changing a job, you're changing a house, you're getting married, you're getting divorced, you're losing a job, whatever it is, you know, somebody dies like, I, I don't know what that is. Well, I, I wonder if it's, you know, breaking up the, the normal constrictions of your quote unquote reality tunnel sort of for a split second yeah. blasts you open to the greater ecology and then something that enters, can enter perception has an allowance to do that can like come in now and be seen and go booga da booga da boo or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Um, but it just seems like, oh, this is typical pattern that isn't true if this is aliens. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had not made that connection because I, I really haven't talked to, I haven't 
I haven't talked to anybody else. Um, but well, I started going to Rochester a few months ago to a meetup group with experiencers. And so I have now met two different experiencers. So, um, you know, I haven't had, I have not had the exposure like you have to other people that have had this experience to make these connections. I only know what's happened to me. And um, I have wondered that, um, I have wondered if trauma, especially early childhood trauma, has had, um, has had an opening effect. There's a quote that I love from Rumi that says, um, the wound is the place where the light enters you. And what you were just saying about something breaking us out of our normal patterns um, that we kind of get lulled to sleep in, perhaps. Um, something comes along, something jars us out of that, and it leaves a crack for something else to come in. And I think trauma can do that. Um, yeah, getting married, um, moving to a new house, you know. Um, and it's funny that, we, that this isn't like a prevalent, um, you know, aspect of research, because it's not like... Like anytime I say it to someone who hasn't heard of George Hansen's trickster theory, for instance, it's like, a, what a revelation. Or they want to struggle against it and go, no, that's not true. But um, we see it in movies all the time. Like every haunted house movie is about the new people who just moved in, right? It's always yeah, the new people who just moved in. We're always telling ourselves this. And yet yeah. we don't see it. It's like this weird fog of amnesia. In our own experience. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good point, and I, I want to give that more thought because um, I had thought about trauma opening you up. And, I think it um, does. I think trauma, like, if you think about, I think childhood trauma especially because in childhood you're supposed to be protected. You know who the authority figures are, and they're, whoever they are for you, usually the parents are like, you're a protection. And if there's a point where they can't protect you or they're harming you or whatever it is, I think right. like the normal thing that you're supposed to form this shell of like, okay, this is how life works. Can't form really, you know? Right. And so, yeah. and, and that's, I think part of what brings us out of like um, even being extensions of the world in terms of imagination, imaginary friends and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. Like I, yeah. I feel like that kind of screws with that. <laughs> in yeah. A way. Yeah. No, I, um, no, I see that. And also it's protective, right? It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, what do you do when you're being physically abused and you don't want to be there? Where do you go? You know, you go inside, you go some, you go somewhere else in whatever way you can. And in extreme terrifying situations, real, we're not talking aliens now, we're talking, you know, people that are doing things to you. Where do you go? And I've asked myself that question many times because I really don't know where I went when certain things were being done to me. And there's a book by Lisa Miller. She's a, she's an MD and she did some work in, um, in New York city with children. And she found her research showed that there is a protective value in children who have a sense of sense of spirituality, not religion, but spirituality and I think that may have been what protected me was that I remember as early back as three years old. See, my mother left when I was a, about a year old and my father 
moved in back into the farm with his parents and I had my cousins and my aunts and uncles and it was a very, you know, insular environment. But I remember when I was three and my grandparents, you know, teaching me to say my prayers at night and told me that I could talk to God directly. You know, I could just, you know, God could be my best friend. Well, that really stuck with me. And I believed it wholly and full heartedly. I believed that I could talk to God. God was always there. God would always understand. And even though my idea of God has changed over the years um, from, you know, the, the white haired, long bearded man that sits in the clouds to now what I believe is the animating energy that is in all things um, and everything, every permutation in between. I was raised in a Presbyterian household. I converted to Judaism in my early 20s between two Jewish husbands. Um, I've been I've been a seeker, you know, um, looking for a spiritual home and um yeah, it's it's really it's um it's quite a tapestry when you look at all these different um things that have happened and in my life, but I, I know everybody has this kind of thing, you know, all these different pieces um to their lives. Um you have your spiritual life, you have your here and now life, you gotta pay the bills, gotta go to work life and everything in between. Yeah. And I just wanna be clear. That, you know, there's the, de- the the skeptical or debunker sort of argument that I think is can be true but isn't 100% true, which is that um, alien abductions are a cover for abuse, especially, they say, sexual abuse as a child. And while I am certain that that's true in some percentage of cases, I don't think – that's not what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I I think – two things can happen. One, well, three, if you include that, but the other two are that something reaches out to you in early childhood and tries to form a feedback loop with you. And if you happen to be abused, all the better, because you're more likely to remain with that instead of shutting it off and going, oh, that's just dreams. That's just childhood hallucinations or whatever. But then the other thing is, and I will now, as we're recording this, I haven't released the next episode of my solo show. So you probably haven't heard this yet. But right. I might have alluded to it on the first one. I don't remember. But that the universe itself creates sort of tulpas. Will cre- like whatever you're seeking spiritually, you may just find. And mm-hmm. it may either be the real deal or it may be a thought construct of the universe pretending to be the real deal. And the way that you know the difference between the two is the thought construct tells you stuff, if it tells you anything at all, to further your evolution and your journey. And the other won't do that. will just be a wake up call because it knows you need to wake up out of this, not go further into it. Right. Which I'll be getting into later, but I just wonder if, um, and even, you know, the Buddhists have that saying, you know, if you see Buddha along on the, the road to enlightenment, kill him. Uh, right. Cause that's, don't get attached to any, don't get attached, but you literally might see Buddha. Like you might literally <laughs> see an illusion of your Jesus or whatever it is right. that you believe whatever in. You're... Yeah. Because the universe just goes, oh, that's what you want to see? Here you go. Here you go. Validated. Yeah. Now stay with me here. Don't transcend into timelessness and anything else. Just stay yeah. in the universe. And um, so I wonder if that's like another level of, oh, discernment that we need. You know, oh, crap. Um, but that that can be f- e- easier to do with people, again, who don't have a rigid um, structured life. Uh, either because they're creative, you know, artistically and or because they were abused as kids or whatever it is, but don't have sort of a quote unquote normal structure. Um, can these anti-structural 
moments actually form, actually forming you. So I'm saying it's not like you're just imagining, like you've gone to a happy place, your fantasy world that you escaped to when you were a kid, but that like literally something of that bleeds out into the room. You know what I mean? For certain, <laughs> for certain people, <laughs> these thought constructs kind of come alive in some limited way and mm-hmm. trick you into thinking that they're something else, you know, higher or uh, whatever. I mean, it's all miraculous if it's true in, in some way, but one is like more authentically true and the other is like a functional illusion or a program or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> No, 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 this is stretching my mind, which is something that I like to do. Um, but I want to, oh, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, okay. go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to comment further, but I want to hear what else you have to say about well, that. Well, I just wanted, I did want to ask you about hypnosis. Um, so do you not want to talk to me about it because it's me and you know how I feel about hypnosis or because you legit feel like it was not worth talking about? I, I want to, I, I would talk about it because, um, I wasn't wholly convinced that it wasn't me just making something up because I, I wanted to know more so much so badly that, um, that, okay, what she gave you was not a backpack. It was a baby. Okay. You know, um, I don't know that that's true. I really just don't. And, um, I don't want to believe that. I don't, I don't, if you haven't noticed, I'm not a person that, that really likes to believe in anything in particular. I don't like dogmas. I, um, not that, not that, you know, not that I don't believe in anything, I guess, but, but I do like to challenge myself and what I believe, what I think I believe is true. And it just didn't, it just didn't stick with me as, as really being true. Whereas my memories of, standing next to the window, fully awake, and then everything that came after, the way that seems true to me, you know? And if mm. the memory stops where it stops, that's where it stops. And if I, you know, if I, if I try to get something else out of that, maybe there isn't anything else out of that. Maybe I just went unconscious and I was asleep in my bed. Was you the know? hypnotist um, an abduction-specific hypnotist? She deals with a lot of people like that, yeah. Could you tell yeah. from the questions if they were leading questions? Um, like, how does a backpack become a baby? Does she say, no, that's not a backpack, that's a baby? Or No, she doesn't say it like that. She says, well, what do you think that is? And, and it, there is emphasis in her voice, you know, in that is leading. Um, you know, I'm not sure a judge would like that in a courtroom, let's say that. Um, but she doesn't overtly say don't you think that's a baby or, you know, um, but she led me enough where I said, Oh, well maybe it's this, you know, and I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. And I'm not ready to believe that. Do you remember how long roughly you were under hypnosis? About 30, 30, 40 minutes, I think. Cause it was an hour and we would talk for a while before. Did it feel like an hour? No, no, it felt like a few minutes. Yeah, okay. Because I had hypnosis once back in college, and that's the way mm-hmm. it felt to me. It felt like, oh, I've only been under a few minutes, and it felt like garbage. But I, I don't remember how long I was actually under, because I then, she told me to just sleep after that, so I fell asleep, and so I was actually there for hours. But I had to have oh, been perfect. under for a lot longer 
at least an hour, I would say, I, I would think. And she'd offered me free therapy after that. <laughs> Whatever I said must have been more than five minutes worth of garbage. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you need help. <laughs> but I don't remember. Like, I don't have a memory of, I only have a memory of, like, maybe the beginning of it. And I don't, and I was, I wondered if I was, like, suggested not to remember or something. Oh. But I don't uh, know. No, you, you should have a recording of that. I mean, I do have recordings. She she sent me the recordings of my sessions. I did it three times. Huh? So. Yeah. No. This I don't think this was recorded. But I did. Yeah. I did look her up uh, because I remembered her name. So years later, I looked her up, and she never got back to me. So. <laughs> so, yeah. We tried. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to childhood and just ask you: Was the abuse like from? as far back as you can remember, or was there a time before abuse? And in that time, uh, did anything high strangenessy happen to you? Well, my mother left when I was a year old. And while that is an abuse, that was trauma. You know, imagine being a year old and your mother's just gone. Um, and nothing happened to me until my father remarried and I was six years old. And I started, <clears throat> both my father and my stepmother worked full time, and I was being left in the care of babysitters. And those are the people that abused me. Um, mm. So what was the question? <laughs> well, what's your, first, what's your first high strangeness memory? And like, around what age was it? Okay, so high strangeness memories. Um, I was you know, seven, eight years old maybe somewhere between six and eight. And um, I remember wanting to get out of the house when the babysitter was there. And I would go to the woods in the backyard behind the barn. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I, this, this is already a horror movie. <laughs> of course you had a weird experience. There was a track too in our little town. And I used to meet my girlfriend halfway. I mean, like I walked a mile, she walked a mile. We're like between six and eight years old and we're doing this, right? Nobody seems to think anything. Yeah, I was six and 69. So um, yeah, I just went out by myself and um, I would go play in the woods. And um, I found this chimney, this really, you know, this um, stone brick chimney. And I would play there and I kind of like, um, you know, made rooms and, and it wasn't anything that I told anybody about, but when I was there, the light was golden and I didn't feel like I was alone. And I felt like there were little people with me and I wasn't supposed to look directly at them, but I kind of so, sort of heard chatter, but I didn't really hear words it was just kind of this amorphous sort of thing. And it only happened a few times when I went out there. Um, but that was, that was the only like paranormal thing aside from the sleep paralysis and the dreams of swimming underwater and breathing and flying. Um, and those were in dream state. That was, you know, falling asleep sleep paralysis, can't move, can't wake up, falling asleep, and then having the dream of, hmm. of that. Um, um, so but that's that, really that first thing, did that, that's, did that stick with you? Like, is that something as you got older that you thought about a lot? Yeah, I did think about it. Um, I didn't really think much about it. I didn't, I didn't ascribe a lot of meaning to it. 
it was just kind of like, that was a good time. That was, you know, I felt, I felt, um, ha- I'm sorry, I have, a, I have this dog yeah, that's bothering me. Um, it was just, uh, it was a happy time, you know, and you could say that I was missing my cousins and playing on the farm and, you know, it could have been a projection of my own mind. You know, it may not have been anything outside of myself. It might have just been me um, not wanting to be alone. I was an only child for 10 and a half years till my half brother was born. Um, it could have been just me, you know, so I, I never really I didn't even write about it either. You know, when I started trying to write some of these things down yeah. into a memoir, Um I didn't even write about it until just recently when I, I remembered it. And I'm like, well, maybe that's, there's something that's connected, you know, whether or not it's something outside myself, I don't know, but it seems to speak to this inner world that I have, you know? And these are not things that you talk to anyone about really. Like, like when I had the, when I was like three years old or whatever, and I saw a parade that didn't exist, um, I mean, that's, that's a story that I told off and on throughout my life. Cause it just seemed like a, an interesting artifact, right? Like it just seemed like the point, but yeah. so it stuck with me that way because I would retell it, but you never really yeah, I read talked that to people book. about your experiences. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So you never really talked um, to people. Remember I was abused and mm-hmm. I was picked on and I was an only child. And so I didn't really come out and say a lot of things to people because I was very fearful of being judged. Um, my stepmother was, was highly critical of me and I was always getting in trouble for things I didn't even realize I was doing wrong. And so I was, I was, I kept myself very small when I was growing up. Um, my one friend, I did have one friend that I may have confided that, that thing in, but I never talked to her about it as we got older. So I don't know if I did for sure, okay. but I did tell her a lot of things. So, but no, I wasn't, it wasn't like that. Like I would come out and just say, cause I wasn't, I wasn't really a normal child. I was very, very traumatized as a right. child. I'm trying to get a sense of how else you would be processing this. So you would keep these things in Would the paranormal things be as, well, I, I don't know if they would, if traumatic is the right word, but as impressive upon your psyche, let's say, as the abuse, like, would you, would you be obsessively thinking about it at any point in your, your younger life or was no. it just something that's just kind of there? It, I do remember thinking of, of looking forward to going to sleep in case one of those dreams happened again. I do remember thinking that when I was little, thinking, oh, maybe I'll have one of those dreams again. Um, but like my dad, when he had paranormal things happen to him. He said, it's nothing that he could control or ask to happen. It just, these things just happened. Um, he would see things, he would know things about people. Um, and he just said he had no control over it. And that's kind of how it was for me. I really had no control over the paralysis or the dreams. Um, and if I sensed things around me when I was little, it was, you know, it wasn't anything that I thought of in my mind that I was consciously conjuring or even thinking that much about when it wasn't happening. Okay. So let's um, hear some of this other stuff. You, you mentioned your grandfather came to you 
Um, did that startle you at all? Like, what is your feeling when someone comes to you like that? Or I guess later you find out he's actually passed away, right? Yeah, the next morning, my stepmother called me and said that he had passed. And I said, what time? And she said the nurse, he was in a nursing home. They said between 2 and 2.30. And it was 2.30 because I looked at the clock. It did startle me because he was one of my abusers, my step-grandfather. And he had abused my stepmother. And um, it was really not talked about um, when I was little. And when I was about 15, I just started closing the door. And I started refusing to go over to their house. And... um, one Thanksgiving when I was in my mid-20s, he convinced my stepmother to ask me to Thanksgiving dinner so that he could apologize to me for his behavior, and I went. And he didn't really give me an apology, he just kind of says, well, you know I love you. And he pulled me to him and put his mouth on mine, and I pushed him away, and I said, I'm out of here. And it's like, you don't really get it, do you? So I hadn't seen that man since then. I knew I knew about him because she told me, oh, he's in the nursing home. He's not doing well. I'm like, okay. And so I hadn't seen him in years. And so I was really shocked to see him sitting next to my bed. We, we had just moved. Oh, my God, Jeremy, I'm going to be thinking about that now. See, this is good. This is good for me. You're stirring it up. So we had just moved from Syracuse to, to here. And and um, we didn't even have the bed set up yet. We were sleeping on the, on the you know, on the mattress on the floor and I just I'm on my side I open my eyes and there's here he is sitting in a chair that wasn't there and um it scared me because I'm like you know this man that I avoided because for good reasons um was in my room and I turned to wake up my husband and I turned back and he was gone um just that quick um does it surprise you that he would come to you yes it did I'm like why did he come to me and um <laughs> Actually, in therapy, which I've been in since I was 23, in and out of therapy, I think it's good to root around in there and try to clear your head out, mm-hmm. um, make make sense of things. And I was talking with my therapist about it, and I said, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I had a shift in how I think about this relationship. I just, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Grandpa taught me what an abuser looks like taught me that I didn't have to stay in an abusive relationship. I had the agency to leave. And I was kind of grateful that if that was, if that was the lesson that I learned from that experience, then okay. Because it served me well in my first relation, my first marriage where I was being beaten. I was being cheated on and I had a 15 month old baby. And when he went to work one morning, I picked up my baby, I put our clothes in my car and I left and I didn't go back. Um, it taught me a very valuable lesson to value myself and to not allow that to happen in my life. I didn't have to be a victim. I could choose to get up and leave. And when I did that with my grandfather, I felt a little lightning. It's maybe it's, maybe it's the forgiveness thing, you know, forgiveness isn't something we don't forgive someone and say, you know, I forgive your behavior and no, it doesn't make the behavior. Okay. It doesn't make it go away, but for yourself, I'm not going to hold on to that anger anymore. Right. And so I did feel lighter after I came to that thought, went through that thought process. Really. That's all it was, was a, a processing of that old information in a new way, I guess. Did you feel anything outside of startled about him when he was there? Like, did you feel fear? Any oh, fear? Oh, really? Fear. Okay. 
Yeah. So when he was there, you thought he was actually there? You didn't think like, oh, this is a ghost? No, no. I knew it was a ghost, but still just his image was like a, um, you know, like Pavlov's dog. It was a trigger. Yeah. Hmm. It was fear. And did he emote anything? No. No. What was was his face? Stony faced and kind of like, well, if he emoted anything, it was a little bit of anger. Huh. And that was confusing me, to me, too, because I was like, well, hell, if you're on your way out of here and you're stopping by, shouldn't there be like an I'm sorry? Right. <laughs> you know? Maybe he ain't and going the way you would want him to go. You know, maybe he's uh, taking a fork at the road. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. And he blames know. you. I know. <laughs> so, do you um, know anything about your parents or your grandparents in terms of have they had strange things or psychic abilities or anything like that? Yeah, well, my dad, my dad, um, well, he had cancer the last three years of his life, and I was the one that took care of him. And so we spent a lot of time together. And he started talking to me about how he didn't feel like he fit into his family. And he's like, well, look at me and then look at them. I don't even look like them. And I certainly don't act like them. And I don't think I'm from here. And then he, then he was watching Ancient Aliens one time when I came over. And I'm like, Dad, you're watching Ancient Aliens? That's kind of a weird thing show and he was like yeah i like it so we sat down and watched it together and i was just like looking at this man i mean he was he was a businessman he was a small businessman he owned an excavating business when i was growing up he was a trucker he owned a kenworth and went coast to coast with his truck i mean he was a he he man he was a man's man you know clint eastwood they called him dirty harry his name was harry and um you know and i just never expected one time he near the end he um was still at his, his house and he fell in the middle of the night, gashed his head, he needed stitches. So I took him to the ER the next day and the nurse comes in to take his vitals and he's just chit-chatting with her. And the ladies always love my dad because he's just really, he's, he's one of the last old gentlemen, you know, there was. And so she's, you know, chit-chatting and she walks out of the room and he turns to me, he says, she's got two little girls. She's living with her boyfriend. He's not the father of the children, but he's abusing her. And she's worried about the girls. And I'm like, okay. She comes back in and they start talking and she starts revealing that she wished she had, she could pick men better because she has two little girls at home. And I'm just like, John, the floor. And so she goes out and I'm like, how did you know that? And that's when he told me it's happened all my life. I just know things about people sometimes. I can't control it. He used to witch for water used to douse for water with a, with a willow branch. And cause he had an excavating business. So if somebody wanted a will drill, a well drilled, um, he taught me how to do it when I was about 12, 13 years old. And, um, cause we moved to a new place and he was drilling well for us. And he's like, come on over here. I'll show you how to, how it's done. So we're in the middle of this old apple orchard and we're dousing for water. And he puts, he tells me to hold the branch like this and he split it. So there's like, you know, the one point and then there's a little bit like this and I'm holding it like that. And he says, now just walk across the yard in just different directions. And at certain, at a certain point, it would turn in my hands and it would, I mean, as much as I would squeeze it, it would turn in my hands, it would turn down. And he's like, that's where we're going to drill the well. And he did it too. And he had rods too that he would use and they would cross Hmm. You know, um, if you want to go way back, our family came here in 1630 on John Winthrop's boats into Boston. And we lived in Lynn, Massachusetts near Salem. And I always said, 
said, if I had a past life back then, I was certainly a mouthy woman back then because I am one now and I was probably burned at the stake for being a witch. So, you know, <laughs> I've always joked about it. Um, but things, things happen. And his father was the same way. He went to church because grandma made him, but he always said his church was the land. It was the woods. It was the farm. It was the animals. And he was always out in nature. Um, my, my, the men in my family were spiritual, not religious. Well, and you had mentioned that you, um, or are, or were a spiritual seeker. So would that involve, what would that involve in terms of reading books or doing retreats and stuff, paranormal, occult, mysticism, religious, like straight up Orthodox religious stuff? Like what would that involve? Yeah, all of it. I mean, all, all the, you know, my, okay. So my best friend in all the way from like second grade, all the way up through high school was a Jewish girl. And she was, it was the only Jewish family in our little town. And, um, and I gravitated to her. And when I went to her bat mitzvah, when we were 13, the Hebrew just, it did something to me. It just, it vibrated with me. It was something that felt familiar and like, like home. It felt like home. And um, so then I started studying Judaism as I grew older and I married her brother. And um, after we divorced, I went to a rabbi and I did a year long study with the rabbi. Um, and then I converted. Before that, when I was in high school, we were all about witchcraft. Okay, witchcraft. You know, trying to make things happen in your life, trying to get that boy that you like to like you, you know, um, reading Did you have to dance about- around tables like they do in the movies? We didn't, but okay, but we yeah. had to, we we didn't have real tarot cards. We used a regular deck, but um, we had this book that was my girlfriend's sister's, and it told you like like the nine of hearts. That was the love card. That was the wish card, and you know, so you you learn how to do that. I mean, we lived in a little town, and this is the seventies, so you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have a lot of you know information floating didn't around. Didn't have tarot cards, <laughs> and we we didn't have tarot cards. We just had a regular deck of cards. Um, so when I was just out of high school. I was going to business school, actually. That was my first degree. It was in retail. I um, met a girl. I was in a play in Syracuse, and I met a, a girl who was in a Wicca coven. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. So I joined her Wicca coven for a couple of years, and I found out that that's really fringy, and there's some really odd people there. But I, I learned a lot about you know that whole culture and that re- that religious construct. And um, it, it didn't feel like home to me um, because it was still this belief and this du- duality and it, it just all didn't vibe. But I learned how to meditate there. I learned how to meditate um, with um, guided meditation. Um, then I, okay, so then I converted to Judaism. I think I was 24 and um and my husband calls me a Jubu, or he did for a while. Um, my second husband I married when I was 30. And I got into, into Buddhism. It was this is where I think this is where I think there's an intersection of these anomalous experiences. Wait, what's a Jubu? A Jubu. It's a Jewish person who is also Buddhist. Okay. That's what it yeah. And then he started calling me Hindu when I was when I was looking into Hinduism. <laughs> he makes fun of me. In a good way, not in a- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. Um, he's funny. So, um, 
so yeah, so then I started studying Buddhism and going to meetup group and, and learning about that and learning how to meditate in different ways, you know, counting your breaths and silent meditation and whether your eyes are open and gazing or whether you're turning inward and closing your eyes. And then I took um, transcendental meditation um, class and I got that. I got, a, I got a mantra and I did a lot of silent retreats and um, I was actually at a silent retreat where I, I had what I think was a oneness experience. And um, that was interesting. That was interesting. That was, I mean, there were no drugs involved. And then the only drugs I ever did, I never did, um, I never did ayahuasca or mushrooms or, or LSD or anything like that. The only thing I ever did was smoke a little pot. Um, and I, I'll be, I wasn't on anything when it happened, but it had been, it had been a several day long retreat, maybe four or five days, I think. And there was this one woman there who claimed that her ego just broke away one day and she left her teenage son and her husband and left her career and went wandering in South America for seven years, which I thought was pretty irresponsible at the time. <laughs> but um, I was very fascinated with this loss of ego. And um, so after the retreat, you know, I went up and I talked to her and I said, you know, it's something I, I don't think is ever going to happen to me. And um, she took my hands in hers and she said, but it's already done in that little ethereal voice she had, but it's already done. And I'm like, really? And I closed my eyes. I looked down, I closed my eyes and bow my head. And all of a sudden I go, oh, because from behind me, behind my chest, this warm wind blew, was blowing through me through like blasting out my chest. And I just started like crying and laughing at the same time. And I'm like covering my hand, my, my face with my hands because I, I feel like my body can't contain this energy that's going through it. And I sink down to my knees and I'm looking up at her and she's just smiling away at me. And she's like, see, and I'm like, I had no idea. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? What is this? And I put my hands out like this and and, my, and I'm literally dissolving into little grains of light, golden light. And I look out these big windows in this room and it's like, I feel like I'm merged with everything. I've got that humming feeling in my body. And, and it went on for many, many minutes and I don't know how long. And after I left, when I came home, it was a few months, I don't know, three, four months when I was in this altered state, I was experiencing time in bubbles. There were like, Time was in bubbles for me. Things were arising and then ending, arising and ending. And I just felt like I was in this different space that I'd never experienced before. And it went on for a long time. And after that happened, and that happened in 2010, I did have a, I did have a pretty good shift in my perception of the world and how I saw myself in it. And I did become less driven to achieve. Like I had five degrees. I was always like, go, 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 do, do, do. That totally changed for me. And it was just like, it's not that I didn't do anything. It's not like I just sat down and didn't do anything. But my doing had a, was coming from a different place now. And um, it wasn't so much in my head as I was in my heart, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you work in, you, 
have you worked in business before? You, you got a business degree. I got a, I got a two-year degree in um, retail management, and I did work in that for a while. Absolutely hated it. And then I switched into nursing. Got a two-year degree in that, and then I switched into x-ray because I saw the, more, the higher you went in nursing, the less patient contact you had and the more paperwork you had. So I switched to x-ray tech. So you've had a lot of um, exposure to logic, rational, objective observation, experimentation type thinking. Yeah. I also have a degree in psychology. Yeah. How do you, how, I guess I want to ask it this way. Do you understand how it is that certain people who are scientifically minded or data oriented don't also have this other aspect to them or don't believe that it even exists? Like, have you ever pondered that? Just like, how is it possible that they can't work with both operating systems? I am living with that for 30 years, my my friend. (laughs) My husband is, he's a doctor. He's um, very science mind. Um, He does not believe any of this. Um, He allows me my truth. Um, which is a great thing. And he gives me the space to pursue this, this any way I choose. And, um, but he doesn't believe a lick of it. And it's really funny. He had AFib just two years ago and he had to go down to New York and get um, an ablation done. And we were down there with him. And when I went to pick him up, we came back, we got some Chinese food on the way and we're in his cousin's apartment. And after dinner, he says, you know, something really weird happened to me in uh, the recovery room. And I'm like, Oh, what's that? And he said, (laughs) he said, well, the room was filled with this golden light. And I had this amazing sense of unconditional love. Like I've never felt before in my life. And I'm like, really? And then I remembered, believe me, I would forgotten that I'd done this, but when they, when they put him under the nurse called me from the OR and said, Mrs. He's under, we're going to start the procedure now. And I'm like, thank you for calling me. And at that moment, I just said a short prayer. I said, Archangel Michael, please look over the surgeon's hands. Make him, don't let him do any mistakes and let my husband be okay. Let this be a successful operation. Amen. Boom. Let it go. I actually forgot about it until he said that. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, well, oh, gee, honey, what do you think that was? And he said, he says, I don't know. He says, I just think it was my friends and family wishing me well. And, you know, it was their love that I was feeling. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what it was. You know, <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, holy crap, that was God. You know, that, so he gonna... doesn't, he doesn't, it doesn't phase him any more than just like sort of a, an odd curiosity. And then he goes on with life. Yes. That's the only experience that I'm aware of that he ever had. Um, of an anomalous or extraordinary experience that I'm aware of. Um, and like and I said, like, honey, you're Jewish. Why are you praying to an angel? Does he ever? No, 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 no. <laughs> he knows I am like, I am open to all sorts of things. And um, yeah, no, he's, he's okay with it. It, it really doesn't matter to him. And he's, he's very Jewish. He was raised conservative, um, but he's not, he's, he's not spiritual at all. You know, it's, you know, he goes, he goes, he goes to temple on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, you know, and we do Passover and, you know, and it's, it's just kind of like that now. And um, we were more into it when the kids were growing, of course, because that's the religion that we raised them in. Um, but, um, you know, the twins are 24 now, so we're not really doing a whole bunch anymore um, with religion. But no, he doesn't, um, you know, he's totally logic, 
you know, linear mind and I am this abstract thing. And I think that's what attracted him to me is that I bring the show. I bring the circus, you know, it's, it's different when I'm around. <laughs> um, well, and you, so you had twins, right? Yeah. And yeah. we all know, again, this is, apparently this is movie night. We know for movies, <laughs> psychic abilities follow twins around like nobody's <laughs> business. So do the twins have any of this going on? Well, when the twins were little, they did have some experiences. Um, my daughter, um, when she was about three or four, started crying in the middle of the night and she would be standing in her crib pointing at the window saying funny owl funny owl in the window hmm. and then she got a little bit older and she still remember i'll bring it up with her occasionally i just brought it up with her actually a few weeks ago she's in buffalo now and i was visiting and and uh she says you know these three little men came through the wall and they took her out through the other wall you know and so you know there was that um her twin brother saw some frightening things in his room. I still don't know what they were. Um, and in this house, we moved across town. This house, he used to see shadow people poking their head out his bathroom door, looking at him in bed. Um, but as adults, I don't think they're having experiences anymore. My oldest son from my first marriage is actually, he's a, he's a psychologist. He has a PsyD. Um, and he's also a shaman and a Reiki practitioner, and he he does see things, and he's okay with that. Um, he's seen things all his life, and actually, when things were going on, and I was pregnant with the twins, he told me, and he was thirteen at the time, and he told me that um, that he saw three tall white beings standing out my our bedroom when our bedroom door, looking into our room one night when he got up to go to the bathroom. And um, it was actually a shock to me because I wasn't really consciously thinking about what was happening to me um, at that time. I was really repressing it hard. I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want it to be real. Had you uh, told him about your experience prior to that? No, no, absolutely not. I wasn't telling, I didn't even tell my husband. I wasn't telling anybody because I just thought I was crazy. I mean, I didn't think I was crazy, but I just thought it was crazy. It was just too crazy to, to even think about. It and was very they, shocking. Do they talk to, to him about this stuff? Like, does he have three people in his family telling him this stuff? And he's like, great, that's great for you. <laughs> I don't um, believe any of it, but great. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't believe any of it. And no, they did not tell him about it. Their dad? No. No, they didn't. They came to me because they... They just felt like I would be the one, you know, and I never told my children things that I experienced until they were adults because, because of the way I was treated as a child, my, my, my natural mother came back into my life and she abused me in the ways of telling me things that young children should never hear. You told me adult things and was very inappropriate um, that way with me. And um, so I, I had a very strict rule. I do not lean on my children. I do not ask my children for guidance or assistance in any way. I, I, I just don't, I don't tell them things that are scary that perhaps to me have been scary in my life. Um, but now that they're 24 and 37, um, you know, we can have those conversations, but I, I don't even bring it up really yet. 
you know, with Joshua, I do. Um, we talk, but so when that's he different. Told, yeah, when he told you that about the white beings, how long ago was that? Well, that was that was at the time. That was um, well, not at oh. the exact time. It was actually it was after the kids were. You know what? He, I'll have to ask him to be absolutely sure, but it might have been the same time when Sarah started saying she saw a funny owl in her window that, that he came to me and said, you know, um, one night I saw this and I was putting it together in my head and I'm like, holy cow. But I'm not telling them, you know, what right. I think because they're kids. And I'm like, well, you know, we have, you know, we have s- strange dreams <laughs> And, you know, I don't think these things are going to hurt you, you know, but, you know, please tell me when they happen, you know, that kind of thing. That's kind of how I te- I did it with them. I wanted to know what was going on, but I didn't want to scare them. I wanted to reassure them that I was there for them um, and whatever was happening, they could tell me. But did, did you t- say in the, the show thread on Unknown Country that... Um... That after you told them to leave you alone, um, that they stopped coming around? Yeah, they did. So ha- have that, they still stopped coming around? Like, was that it? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I thought so. But there's been a couple things that have been weird, but it's not, I'm not sure of it. Um, like, okay, so two years ago, I fell in the driveway and I, I tore the labrum in my shoulder and some and my biceps tendon a little bit. And they told me I was going to need surgery. I really don't want to have shoulder surgery because they get complicated and they don't always heal very well. So I went to PT and um, it was really hard. I was very limited in my motion. And twice I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt the buzzing and I like really, I felt the buzzing and I'm laying on my right side and my, I got my back to the edge of the bed and I sort of turn around and look like this and I see, and I'm half asleep. Okay. I'm, I'm being totally honest with you. This was not a fully awake experience. I sort of look over my shoulder and I see these three tall honeybees buzzing next to my shoulder. And it happened twice. And I kind of thought about it and I've read about, you know, healings and things from the Wait, beginning. wait, it happened twice? What was the second time? Oh, the same thing. The same thing. I would I woke in the middle of the night with the buzzing and honey and hearing and feeling the buzzing and huh. the sense that something was behind me over my shoulder and that something was being done to my shoulder. But there weren't any marks or anything like that. Right. And it was just an impression. And I, I I hesitate. I wasn't even going to bring it up, but you're asking, you know, if anything else has happened, that's something that may have happened. Um, But like before, no, as far as I know, I'm not being taken. Um, It it stopped. Did it, um, did, did you feel like it helped heal your shoulder? I hate to say it, but I think it did. Yeah. But I was also doing PT at the same time. So, you know, who knows? These things are really hard to tease out, you know? So maybe, maybe not, you know, maybe it was just a dream. Maybe it was something, maybe it wasn't. Well, but like how long had you been doing physical therapy before bees showed up? Oh, it was pretty early on. It was about maybe three months. And I did seem to make, that's why I said maybe, because I seemed to have made some 
good progress, like within a couple of weeks, like a short period of time, like those two times that that happened. Right. Okay. And then within eight months, I was able to stop and I've got full range of motion back. I'm doing my yoga again. I'm, you know, I'm, Mm-hmm. There's a there's you know certain points that I, I get a pinching sensation, but it's okay. I don't take anything for it. I'm I'm fine. I have something I, that I, happens to me that I don't that I don't yeah. think I've really talked about publicly at all. But um, I mean, the one thing that I have talked about is and uh, I'll have talked about it by the time this is airing um, is like a slit opening up at the base of the spine and this bliss energy pouring in, and it feels like head to toe from my backside. I'm like levitating, I'm not, but it feels like levitating on this palpable beating energy and it feels blissful and all that. And at the time I had major back problems and it felt great and then it washes back out and the slit closes up. Felt great, but it didn't, I don't think that had an impact at all on my healing, uh, on my back healing, the three times that that happened. I don't think it was for that or about that. But I've got this other thing that happens periodically once, maybe twice a year, maybe more, I don't know, where, or at all, if I ever get sick. Like, I don't know that I can really get sick outside of food poisoning. I don't know what else. I I honestly Mm -hmm. don't think I can get sick. Like, at at this point with this, whatever this energy is, kundalini or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. like, if I start to feel sick, like, I'll know I'm sick, get a cold, flu, whatever it is, as soon as I go to bed, like, it's like this... Like, I have to stay asleep, like I'm dead tired, and but my entire body is humming, is just humming with energy, and I'll wake up and I'll be fine. And But I'll feel that, like I say, once or twice a year, and it feels as though it's rejuvenating me. Like, if I don't do that, if I wake up out of it, I'll screw it up and, like, not die, but I don't know what, something. Like, it's somehow it's, like, full body healing. So I think there is, or reverse aging, like, not... Not like Benjamin Button or something, but like just enough to like battle the sun in Hawaii or something. You know what I mean? Like I do, yeah. So I do think that there is some connection between like that the buzzing, whatever, and healing. But I also know that it's not always the case. Although those are two different types of buzzing feelings, or you know the the beating energy and this other thing. But there is something yeah. about that. I wonder what that is. But uh, I think so I do think that it probably healed your shoulder and whether or not beings were actually there doing it or, or that was like a hallucinatory thing going on. I think the healing part it could have been a projection of my own mind, you know, I don't, too. Know. I don't know, but I also had, um, Oh, the, sometimes you get like an out pouching on your wrist. I forgot what they're called. Um, oh, they're like little, the tendon actually has a weakness in it. And so the fluid sort of, sort of pouches out you get like this little ball here and I noticed it and I showed it to my doctor at my regular appointment and then the next thing I know I've got this really straight line right here like somebody took a scalpel and just cut and I'm like that's really weird and then it healed and then I noticed that the thing went down a little bit and when I went back to my doctor he's like oh I see your wrist what did you do to it I said I don't know And then like a week later, another line, that line healed. And then another line appeared on the other side of it. And then it completely went away and it hasn't come back. And that's been Mm -hmm. a couple of years. But I didn't feel any buzzing with that. Sometimes when I'm doing yoga or sometimes when I'm just sitting here on the couch watching TV, my body will just like, I'll just do things like, like without thinking, 
you know, and my body will just move in certain ways. And I realized that, oh, that needed to be moved back into place, you know, and this needed to be readjusted here. And it's without any thinking mind. It's mm-hmm. just, kind of, it just kind of like my body just does this thing and it makes it feel better. Or I didn't even realize I wasn't feeling right. Do you know what so, I mean? <laughs> uh, well, I think I do. Um, but does, does it feel as though your body has a natural language that it speaks when, when you're out of the way? Or does it yes. feel as though someone's doing that to you? Oh, you know, when I first, when I first noticed it, um, I, I had, I had the idea that it was the beings doing it. And so I would be like, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, but I'm really not sure. I'm not sure if it's someone else, but it just happens periodically. It's like, I don't sit down to do yoga and and I'm like, okay, come on down. You know, Mm. it's, you know, it just, it just kind of seems to happen whenever it's needed, I guess. But like, how about this? So you know the difference between like, there's reflexive action, you know, which isn't you doing it, but the body's doing it, but it feels like normal. And then like with me, there's the Kundalini thing, which is, I think what you might be talking about in a way, like what they call Kriyas, which is spontaneous movements. But it feels like if you like floating in water, it feels like someone else is moving the body. Yes, I doing do it. feel like I'm being manipulated. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, have you ever had a moment? About... Have you mm-hmm. ever had a moment of no self, of just sort yes. of selflessness? Okay. Well, yes. Then this is all making yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm very familiar with that. Um, and actually, I was seeing a very good therapist at the time who only saw people who were having awakening experiences, and he told me that's what it was. So I was like, okay. So he's like, it's okay. Just allow it to process the way it's going to process through you. And so I just kind of like put it to the back of my mind and just said, okay, this, I'm just going to, just going to move through life um, as me, you know, without too much of this and more of this and see, you know, see if that works. And it does, it works pretty good for me. I don't like coming to this interview. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like, oh my God, I have to think about what I'm going to say. I'm just kind of like, ask me questions and I'll say whatever, you know, I didn't get all like, you know, trying to pre-think. You know, like before I, well, I would have, you know, yeah. like I might have even jotted things down and, you know. So what was the, um, what was the no self circumstance? So that was when I had, that was when I had that golden, that light, that warm wind blow through me and I had, and I, and I disappeared. I disappeared. Um, I became one with everything around me. And... When I drove home a couple hours after that experience, I didn't have a thought in my mind. And it was so, it felt, I felt so light. I felt so liberated. I felt so like, so I can drive a car and I don't have to think about anything. I know what I'm doing. You know, there's not that, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not free of that anymore. You know, it kind of came back. But for a while, there was really just, I was just, I was just working through no mind, you know, and whatever, that's what I meant by the time and bubbles. It was like things would arise and things would come out of my mouth. I would do things and I wasn't really giving it a whole bunch of thought. And I wasn't really there. I I had the sense that something was working through me. And um, yeah. And did you notice, well, I don't know. I don't know if you've had enough, at least consciously remember these experiences to, 
to say, but maybe you do, I don't know, um, a difference in these other paranormal phenomena and how they present in your life before and after that? You know, I had a, what they call a, a shared death experience with a friend or an acquaintance. Our kids were in preschool together and she had melanoma and it had come back and she had three brain tumors and they tried to take them out. And she was in the hospital for a week. And on Thursday night, I had a dream that I was sitting next to her on her hospital bed, levitating a couple feet above. And there were all these people around the foot of her bed and they were talking and they were telling stories and they were crying and they were laughing. And, and I'm telling her, you can't, you can't leave. You have children, you can't leave. And she's just like, it's all love. It's all love. And the golden light was there. It was like angel food cake. It was like, you could touch it. And Bring me back to the original question because I had a point here. <laughs> um, um, is is there a difference in this paranormal f- phenomena in yeah. your life from before and after? Yes. After that, okay, so then we went to the funeral a few days later, and the minister gets up on the pulpit, and he starts describing exactly what I saw in my dream. And then I was realizing that it wasn't a dream, that I was actually there. It was a shared death experience. And I didn't know why it happened to me. I was not best friends with her. We weren't that close. But after that, I seemed to be more open for synchronicity. Um, I seem to have more like premonition kind of things happening um, where things would happen and they'd feel familiar or seeing signs and things, you know, like, you know, see, I, I just don't, I don't like to go there because it can sound woo woo, but, um, yeah, we're beyond that baby. <laughs> Bring it on. We're beyond the woo. We're on the woo. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I was having more prescient dreams. Um, okay. Last night I had a dream. I had a dream that I was this young, beautiful blonde woman, slender. We were in LA where I've never been. She picked me up in this little red sports car and took me into the hills, took me to her house and we're in her bedroom. And all of a sudden she's outside the room and I hear her screaming and there's another woman and there's a man and they come into the room and I'm hiding. I like hide. I'm behind her bed on the floor like this. And I hear her being raped above me on the bed. And then I hear her screaming and it, and it's, they're killing her. And the other two people as well. And then just now, an hour ago, I was feeding the dog and the cat and I had CNN on and they just announced that one of the Manson murderers is being released from prison. And I'm like, she looked like Jessica Tate. Holy crap. Was that, did I, did I somehow know that this was happening? That's what I mean. Weird things like that. Like, um, like synchronicities, just like I had that dream last night horrible dream but it wasn't me being attacked it was someone else and i was i was she was on the bed being attacked and i'm like down like this and then i hear that this woman who had a hand in murdering these people is being released from prison Hmm. you know just kind of weird weird, (laughs) you know weird just weird coincidences most people call it my husband would call it a coincidence you know um but does that, that so that happens frequently now those types of things it started happening more frequently I think it was after that experience with Patty because I had a good friend who's now moved away 
And um, we were always talking about angels and stuff. She was, she was raised Catholic and she was all into the angels and everything. And, and so we would talk about this stuff a lot and it just seemed like more things were happening to me. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, why, why me? Why do these things happen to me? And she'd be like, cause you're open. Cause you're open to it. I mean, that's the question. Like how many coincidences have to happen before it's not a coincidence anymore? Yeah. I don't know. I'm still I mean, not to the center of that lollipop. <laughs> so I guess just one final question. Now that we've talked about all of this, and you look back on, say, the greys, do you think that these are autonomous beings living their own lives, or are they something else? I think there's something that lives in a different dimension than we do. I think there's something... I think I said this on, on the thread, um, is that I don't... It's like they, they know what the game is, and we're kind of like, if we're there, we don't really, we don't have our full consciousness with us when we're with them. And we are not fully autonomous when we're with them. Like I did break out of line, but mostly I couldn't do anything. Um, I think they have an existence somewhere and some people might be able to perceive that frequency that they exist in. And that's just what I'm thinking at the moment. I don't know. That's... I think they're real. I, that, that's what I think. I think if, at the moment, that's what I'm thinking is that they're just, they're kind of like next door and some of us can perceive that frequency and we kind of become aware of them and they're aware of us. And do you think that they would react to you the same way if you were exactly as you are now having had the death of self and having you know and being who you are now not running up to them and yelling at them and all that do you think that they would still have a same reaction to you like is that how they interact with people do you get the sense um just as whatever they are <laughs> or do you think that that changes and that the relationship changes when you change i i really like that question because i want to initiate contact now because I've worked for a long time thinking about this and quelling my fears. And I think they would react to me differently as I am now, because I'm, I'm a very different person than I was in 95, 97, um, 99. Um, a lot of, I've changed a lot. A lot of things have happened to me. And I don't believe I would go up and yell at them. Um, and I really want to find out. I'm, I've just recently joined a group that has Cosmic Consciousness Night. And they go out and they do the meditation thing and, you know, and they see what appears. And I'm going to join that and I'm going to see what appears. And I really would like the opportunity to contact this consciousness that I think has contacted me in the past and learn from it. I just want to learn from it. But don't you think, um, you know, it's all, it's all been on your own. So do you think it's going to work in a group setting? I don't know. But you'll find out. I don't know. This is a good place to end it. Okay. So we've got like several threads now that like, great. If anything, if any of these pan out, please come back and let us know. (laughs) 
like <laughs> invite them in on your own, go out with the group and, and invite them in and tell us what happens. Like I, I would love All to know. Of it. I would, I would <laughs> definitely love to tell you. <laughs> okay. Well, Judy, thank you for, thank you for doing this. This was exactly what I'd hoped for. I, I think, um, I don't know. I just think it, it's always interesting when there are things that look like, again, cut and dry, at least pieces of a narrative that actually don't, they don't really make sense. They feel like they make sense on their own, but in the bigger tapestry of your life, yeah. the thing that they look like just isn't it, you know? Yeah. And so I thank you for sharing your life with us. Well, thank you for asking, and um, thank you for your thoughts, because you're the one that got me thinking about it more and in a different way, and you're a unique voice, and I really appreciate the way you're coming at this, and keep doing it. It's good. It's really thank good. You. Good conversation. Thank you. All right, people of the dreamland. <laughs> You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.